You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here to start off a new week. And it is a new holiday week. Happy Hanukkah to our Jewish listeners, and uh, we're getting one week uh, one week away from Christmas and then New Year's. Everyone's in the holiday spirit, and indeed, we are being given a Christmas gift, a holiday gift in the form of a big tax cut. Believe it or not, probably the only good thing we will ever get out of this Republican Congress, but amazingly, and I've never seen anything like this before um, in Pretty much in, in all my years in politics, this is a massive tax cut for a lot of families, particularly a lot of people that don't pay much in taxes. Now with the Rubio Amendment, as we spoke about last week, people that don't pay taxes will get a tax cut too. But yet so many people think it's a tax increase, and it's extremely unpopular. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. They start out with a bad bill. They you know, are terrible at messaging. In addition to that, the media has been lying through their teeth about this being a tax increase. But nonetheless, it is unpopular, and a lot of people think they're getting a tax increase, even though, say what you want about this, and I don't like a lot of aspects to it, the approach of it, and this is why we are going to talk about a much better systemic plan to actually reform not just the tax code, but through reforming the tax code, reform and reorient our entire system of governance. Um, but nonetheless, it is just bizarre that it is unpopular. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're just watching to see what happens tomorrow on Tuesday. It appears like the House will vote on it, possibly the Senate as well. Uh, by Wednesday or Thursday, this could be signed into law. And beginning next year, a couple weeks from now, people, most people, or pretty much everyone, will see um, a larger pay ta- paychecks because the withholdings will be smaller. Uh, So this is a very interesting dynamic taking place here. And it all leads to the point that we've been making for a number of weeks that, look, we'll take a tax cut versus, you know, spending up the wazoo and not cutting taxes. If they're not going to deal with the deficit anyway, I'll take the tax cut. But we need a plan that will actually reorient our system of governance, put the states ahead, and actually solve the problems in the long run with the tax system. And we introduced a couple of weeks ago, and I have an article we're going to link to in show notes, the the best, simplest, fairest plan, um, what we call the neutral tax plan, or what I call the freedom tax, www.neutraltax.com. Now, one of the things I promise you this year, and I hope to really build on this next year, is to bring to you voices that you won't hear from even mainstream conservative media, the same tired talking heads with the same stale ideas, we're actually going to bring to you innovative ideas, both ideas we call here at Conservative Review, as well as as other people we meet uh, throughout this process, so you could get innovative, better understanding of innovative ideas that you're not going to hear elsewhere. And a couple weeks ago, I was introduced to someone who has become one of my new best friends in this business, Tom Ryan, who is the author of this neutral tax idea of devolving all taxation to the states, having the states take the lead, choose how much revenue, what type, what they want, you know, whether it's income, sales, property, whatever mix they want, how progressive, not progressive at all. Let's have these fights on a local level and then just have the feds come at the back end, take a flat tax out of that revenue, and this will solve all of our problems. I want to really delve into this with the author of this plan, Tom Ryan. Now, Tom Ryan... Like I said, someone I met recently, and, and you know, we get on the phone together. I can never get off with him. He's just so many great ideas, so many good, insightful things to say. He is the founder of Americans for Federalism, where he developed this neutral 
tax plan. And again, it's neutraltax.com. He continues to develop and promote unique policies uh, from a federalism angle on many other issues. So we're going to have him back to talk about healthcare, social security. But for today, we're going to talk about taxes at Tom Ryan, Tom, I'm sorry, at Tom D Ryan on Twitter at neutral tax on Twitter as well. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Great to bring you here to our conservative conscience audience. Awesome. Glad to be be with you today. And, you know, it's really an honor to have someone like you today. This is our first week uh, being under the umbrella of Westwood One's platform. So welcome to all of you guys that are now listening or discovering our unique podcast um, from Westwood's audience. We're really going to be growing by leaps and bounds. Um, I wanted to start out with you before we get to the neutral tax and what it is and explaining some of the things on your website and why it works, why it's the best uh, tax plan out there, really as a segue into why we need it. Could you answer my question that I started out the show with? Why is it that, for better or for worse, with all of its flaws, by hook or by crook, they wound up manipulating the you know revenue figures enough to get a pretty decent tax cut, substantial tax cut for businesses, decent tax cut for individuals, especially those with, with a lot of kids. And yet, it's so unpopular because so many people think they're getting a tax increase. What is going on here? Well, uh, the, the the way the tax code was set up, uh, or is currently being used, is there's so many different deductions and special interest groups and 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 that type of thing that it's really difficult to at the at the federal level to make any changes without alienating one group or another. So so what that what it comes down to then is you have essentially members of a tax cartel, which is the national federal tax, negotiating with each other over like, you know, and, and cartels don't, aren't going to uh, uh, have major concessions when they're negotiating with each other. They'll give a little bit here and a little bit there, but ultimately you wind up with maybe a little bit lower version of the same tax system. And what you see now is, it's, it's actually, I described that several years ago in the neutral tax paper itself is you'll get a little, um, you'll get some tax reform possible or some tax uh, re- um, cuts, but essentially the whole mechanism is still in place. And what we have right now is this is the best that we can possibly probably ever do is this tax plan. And you have to ask yourself, is that what we want? Is that, is there, can we do better with the current way of doing it? This is the best we're going to ever get. So that tells wow. you there's a problem there. No, and, so, and that's yeah. actually a good point. In other words, this is the best we can get. Let, let's, let's, delve into that through the prism of a flat tax. So everyone, you know, supports a flat tax. Everyone pretty much on the right supports a flatter or a flat tax. And, you know, as I noted on the show a couple of weeks ago, the reality is that if you really had a pure flat tax with a very low rate, let's say 10% for everyone, no deductions, nothing for children or anything, and certainly for, you know, behavioral, um, modifications such as homes or state and local taxes and charity. I mean, that would be a substantial, insane, and I say that in a good way, tax cut on a lot of the wealthy, and it would raise taxes on all the people that pay zero or two to three, five percent effective tax rate. Now their tax rate will be 10 percent. It is untenable. So the best you can do is to lower taxes on businesses and job creators, which, again, that's really the best benefit anyone in the middle or at the bottom is going to get. You have to also lower taxes for those who barely pay taxes and lower taxes like we saw with Marco Rubio's 11th hour provision for those who you know, I say this tongue in cheek, lower taxes because they don't pay them for those who don't pay taxes. So in the process, ironically, even a Republican, somewhat conservative oriented tax cut, which it is cutting taxes, it will have a little bit of economic growth. It's actually making the code even more progressive, zeroing out the tax base even more for more people. Um, with that said, how will the neutral tax help? How will that you know, make it achievable to have a fairer system, you know, by simply having this fight on a local level. 
Right. Well, uh, to get to just address as well with the with the flat tax, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are in favor of a flat tax. There's a lot of people that play lip service to their tax these tax plans and different things, but they don't realize like, yeah, I support a flat tax, but is that possible? Remember, our 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 current tax system started out as essentially a flat tax, and what we have now is what you get a flat tax plus a hundred years. And so basically there's no, um, there's no firewall to protect. Even if we were to somehow, you know, get a flat tax enacted federally, there's no firewall from that being tinkered with by politicians, um, to, to meet their own goals. So that's, that's the, um, that's the, the thing that people have to remember there. And the other thing is that the reason a flat tax will probably never happen, as you alluded to it there, is it will essentially raise taxes on the lower end of people and um, lower taxes on the higher end of people, which is, quote, you know, giving money to the rich. So you, now um, – now, now that's if you try to set it at the at the federal level. Now, let's say if you have a state that can set a, a flat tax, um, all of a sudden that state becomes more competitive with any other state in the union. And so then the other states have to start looking at that and say, hey, we're getting, you know, we're getting uh, beaten by this other state that's doing this. And so you have a comparison there and there's there's competition, tax competition. And when there's tax competition between jurisdictions, the actual citizen wins because you have more more efficient taxation, simpler taxation and lower taxation. And, and again, we're seeing this with the fight over every deduction over every constituency there's no way you could have the federal government dealing with this and solving it directly for 325 million people it's got to be developed to the states and you know it's funny that the founders you know, particularly alexander hamilton writes about this in the federalist papers they did not want any direct taxation from the feds on the individual they actually wanted the filter of the state so your plan just real briefly, just just describe the basics of what what it does. I know there's not a lot of facets, but in, on its most simple level, the major provisions and the major advantages to it. Well, where it would take us from where we are now is you you essentially take all of the existing revenue that the federal government collects, and um, you would uh, actually all the existing taxes, and you would essentially. Uh, eliminate all those and then you would start collecting the the federal government would start collecting instead of from individuals and businesses they start collecting from the state the revenues that the state collects so in other words so let, let's what, just put numbers on this let's just to give people mm -hmm. a basic idea the entire tax pot let's just say local state federal currently is 6.6 .6 trillion in, in revenue and you're proposing mm -hmm. you call it neutral Right, because mm -hmm. we're we're not trying to be conservative here. We want to be conservative, but you know this is something that really I know we have some non-conservative listeners here. This is something that you're saying should work for everyone. Let's make it neutral politically in terms of we're not going to cut any revenue. We're going to collect that same six point six trillion in revenue for now. Except rather than having as it currently is, where the federal government takes you know more than half of that off the top. The states collect yeah. all of that, right? Correct. The states collect all of it, and they um, what what would happen would be the the federal government would set a would set a standard percentage. So you'd have a single percentage, which is what percentage of my tax dollar of every tax dollar I spend goes to the federal government, and what percentage goes to the state government. Now, if I was to ask anybody today what percentage of their tax dollar goes to the state and what percentage goes to the federal, probably nobody, very few people in the whole country could could understand that. So what this does is it puts a number on exactly how much do we want local versus versus national government, and we've never had that anything like that before. So now, a lot of people automatically are going to jump and say, all right, this sounds great, particularly if you're conservative, while localism, you know, let's make the state stronger again, so the states would be in the driver's seat. The states would, you, you tell the states, look, 
you could do whatever you want, whatever method. See, right now, states only control about, you know, states and local together, about 40% of the pie. The rest, they have no control over. Here, if you want to rather have a sales tax over income, if, or if you don't want a progressive income tax, or if you want a progressive income tax, more progressive than the federal government, you could collect all the revenue you want from that. But just know, at the end of the day, you know, have enough of a ballpark revenue estimate that the feds would be be able to come in with a forty percent flat tax or so on that revenue. They would have zero say in the dealing with the individual. It would only be the states dealing with the individual. Um, so a lot of advantages. I want to get into that, but I first just want to get into the hit on this right away. All right. Um, that's great, but aren't you kind of going back to the time when the federal government was just way too weak and it's not going to be able to have a stable um, guaranteed source of revenue? Um, not really, because what it what it does is the original um, uh, the original way you're kind of refer, alluding to like the Article of Confederation, and that was set up a little bit differently. It was more like an after the fact where they'd say, "Hey, we need this much money," and then they'd say, "Write us a check for that," you know, or, or give us the money. This is um, the the. The beauty of this is it's done on a almost like we have currently withholding tax on individuals. So as the, we, you'd, the, a state would estimate, just like you have to do in a business, you estimate what your tax, what your revenue will be, and then they would pay it off on a regular daily basis of based on their income, revenue income. And um, that way, as far as if you look at withholding tax, that really, um, the reason, the beauty of withholding tax when, when they invented withholding tax was that it increased compliance significantly because you immediately knew if someone was not in compliance because they'd have to, it wasn't like a, at the end of the year you figured out they aren't going to, they don't have the money to pay you. So essentially the, 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 the daily collection would, would, um, uh, would, would make up for, you know, like there, there wouldn't be like some check due and the state's poor and it, it can't do that. Um, the, the other thing is it creates a, like a legal formula and a predictable legal formula of how to, um, how to, uh, how, what, you know, what, what revenue is due. Again, with the Articles of Confederation, they would just say, like, hey, we need this amount of money. It was an unplanned amount, unprojected amount, and then the state would somehow have to raise, go scramble and raise taxes to um, to, to collect that. So it, it created a real burden on the state the way it was done. And uh, I, I do think that, it, you know, one of my feelings is that um, I think if the founders had had this type of idea, they would have put that in the Constitution because it, it kind of uh, it, it's what it, they did not intend the federal government to have, for the most part, direct any direct interaction with individuals is more is more like a um, a, a um, organization of states, if you will, you know, and that's sure. that's what they wanted. They didn't want the federal government to go in and be able to to touch every individual that they can't like they can right now. And that's the beauty of this. It's not just, you know, a tax reform plan. It's it uses a, a leverage point to reorient the way our system of government was designed. The individuals create the state, so you pay to the state, and the states created the federal government, so the states just give over that revenue. Um, again, before we go back to some of the more advantages of this and the, and the good elements, uh, just to answer a common question people are going to ask, all right, well, sounds great. But is that constitutional? Is this kind of like a new angle of taxation that you would need an amendment? So y y your position is that this absolutely would not need a constitutional amendment. Uh, can you just explain why this is not really a new tax? Um, essentially, it it hinges on the um, it's it's uh, it's the the constitution defines direct taxation, which which must be apportioned by by uh, by population. And this is actually not direct taxation, it's indirect taxation because the actual state is not paying the tax. And the individual, the individual themselves, the federal government is not going directly to an individual. So it's indirectly taxing the individual. The state doesn't pay, it's, pa it's a pass-through, essentially tax. And that's the definition of an indirect tax. So um, our position would be that this is an indirect tax, it is constitutional. Now. That being said, I'll quickly say, does that mean somebody can't challenge it? Absolutely not. It would probably likely be challenged, and it may or may not 
you know, depending on the court that you know, that, that decides it, it may, it may or may not pass. But the the problem is what the, the the nice thing about that is part of this is we want to repeal the Sixteenth Amendment. So if the plan ultimately is to repeal the Sixteenth Amendment, you could actually put wording in there that would somehow make this a um, uh, you know in the in the repeal language or something that would make it uh, would cover any constitutional issues. So I don't think that's a it's not a people are looking for. Like, oh, it can't work, you know, but everything's going to get challenged. If you look at, like, Obamacare, is Obamacare constitutional? <laughs> Probably not. But that did that stop the Democrats? And then they said, oh, you can't do this because it's unconstitutional. No, you do it. You move forward on a constitutional basis. And then if there's a problem, you can address it after the fact. But I, um, I think that it would pass the, the constitutional test. Sure. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we, we write about judicial tyranny every day. Uh, I have an article coming out right right now just for our listeners that um, <clears throat> courts are ruling that illegal aliens have rights to come here to demand access to abortion. And a Pennsylvania judge just said that Trump has to continue Obama's contraception mandate to force individual employers to provide all sorts of free contraception, even though they cost about 20 bucks for a three month pack. But, you know, um, so so you, you never know. But again, that, that's what you're saying, that, you know, you shouldn't let that get in the way of good ideas if i get what you're saying correctly here the difference is it'd be one thing if we came up with a new scheme and said the federal government is going to put a mandate on the states you have to come up every year with 200 billion of revenue so that would be kind of a direct mandate on the state you have to concoct that here they're saying look it's the same people paying the taxes the people are just a composition of the states the same people paying taxes now just you take the lead and we're just going to take a percentage of whatever you raise so you could raise whatever you want um you could do whatever you want it's not going to get in your way is that is that why you feel it's not direct yeah, well, it's, again, if you look at the definition of an indirect tax, it's, it's basically a pass-through. The, the entity that you're, quote, taxing is not paying the tax. It's passed through to the to somebody else. So that's the, you know, that's the reason why it would, it would qualify under an indirect tax. So what are some of the other benefits that you think would arise from the political system? Why this would make the state stronger? You know, even though it's you're saying, again, as conservatives, we would want the state share to be much bigger. We'd want to drive down the federal flat tax, heck, to 25 30%. But I think we worked out it would probably be somewhere in the 40s they take just to orient. You know, So, for example, well, before, before we get to the states, um, many, many people will say, well, what happens to Social Security and Medicare? You know, What happens to payroll taxes? So, to be clear, under your plan, you're getting rid of any direct federal taxation on the individual or on corporations. So corporate capital gains and investments, obviously individual payroll and income. What would happen to Social Security and Medicare? Does this necessarily get involved in that fight? No, by by nature, when you're doing, and people get frustrated because they want to like a, a, they want you to have the solution to everything, <laughs> and unfortunately, that allow that makes it so it's difficult to. Another example is people go, why is it revenue neutral? We should lower taxes. Well, you can do that, but when you do a tax plan, you want it to be revenue neutral, revenue neutral, so you can p- compare apples to apples. Now, if you look into like some of what I call the earned benefits, which is Social Security, Medicare, those things that are come out of payroll taxes. Um, those are that's just you know there's a there's a uh, facade that there's some account or trust fund it's just another way to collect taxes so if if you uh again the state could institute its own payroll tax to pay for these things or some other way of doing it but essentially the funding it's not like it's a 401k where it's going into your personal account so the payroll tax is just yet another funding mechanism so this just takes this just swipes everything off the table now that being said we do have some ideas of how to reform the earned benefit portion of the federal federal uh, budget and that's a, that but that's a whole separate issue so you don't want to confuse the two um, sure. to make you know make things more difficult sure because the, the bottom line is what we're saying is this would be worth it even if right now the federal government is slated to collect about 3.6 trillion uh, th- uh, yeah 3.6 trillion a year in revenue this is before the tax cut I mean under current law um, and we're saying look you know, obviously, as conservatives, we'd rather it be less. But fine, take your three point six trillion. 
but have the states collect all that. So again, if they're going to set the flat tax on the state revenue on the back end enough to cover that 3.6 trillion, um, which you know, as we said, is really probably closer to 2.8 trillion because a big chunk of what federal government collects, about 800 billion worth, it hands back to the states anyway in the form of conditions. So just keep it with the states. They'll only need 2.8 trillion, even under a neutral um, size of the federal government system, and then they could fund whatever they want. You'll have the same you know, funding for Social Security, Medicare, along with everything else. Um, yeah, you yeah. just you just pointed out an interesting interesting concept, which is um, what this does to the state mentality. Is right now the states um, try essentially the federal government is a monopoly, so it can suck all the money out and then it spits it back to the states. So essentially, the current tax system. You know, people ask me like, you know, I hear people say a lot. The tax system doesn't matter because it's spending is the problem, right? Which is true. But why is spending the problem? The spending is the problem is because the federal government drives spending. So if you put, if you if you take that uh, that that leverage that they could use from the states, all of a sudden the state's going to say, "Why are we sending our money to you? It's our money. We're going to keep it." So you'd have both blue and red states that would be in favor of a smaller reducing this portion of the federal government. So both, you know, the, the red states are going to want to reduce it because they want to have smaller government, and the blue states are going to reduce it because want to reduce that percentage they send to the federal government because they don't want to send their money to the federal government. You know, like they want to keep it in their state. It's in their own best interest. So you, it, you have that interplay, which is the, what the founders wanted. They wanted people kind of opposing uh, factions or whatever, if you want it's a bad word, but it, they wanted opposing power structures so that um, the person that wins when there's opposing power structure is the citizen. Exactly, and, and, and that's the thing. By making the state stronger, it will afford such competition. I mean, imagine if all the totality of the individual and corporate tax structure were run by the states. I mean, there would be a race to the top. Right now, it's a race to the bottom because the feds come in there with a national monopoly. There's nowhere you could move to escape their system, um, and then the states are really scrapped, and they're always schleppers for the federal government, just begging for more money. Here, look. You take what you need, um, and then again, unlike with the Articles of Confederation, where obviously you know this was um, it was very tenuous. They it was optional. There was no mandated tax, so you know here it will be mandated, but it will be on the back end. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of other benefits, and you you go through this, and I encourage everyone to go to neutraltax.com. Um, really well thought out. A lot of the contingencies, a lot of different questions you might have. There's a whole F and Q page we're going to link to in our show notes to this uh, this episode. But um, you know, one of, one of the things that I found really attractive is everyone always says, even nowadays, they run for president in a Republican primary, saying, "I'm going to abolish the IRS." Could you explain Correct. why the flat and fair taxes on a federal level? will not accomplish that, even if by some miracle we implemented them. And while this plan, a neutral tax, to just devolve neutrally to the states and have them potentially implement whatever system they want, we'd rather it be flatter or fairer, the left will make it more progressive, but nonetheless, why that would necessarily abolish the IRS. Right, and and that's exactly right. It's it's a lot of the uh, this abolish the IRS talk is like, well, we'll rename it and it'll be part of the Treasury Department. It's like that's not what people want. They want it to be done. They want the IRS out of their business. So, with a and I, and I have nothing against fair or flat tax per se, but it's just at the federal level they shouldn't be at the federal level. Do it at the state level. So at the so at the just to go through the the flat tax um, at the uh, at the federal level, you're still having to send in your information to the IRS, okay? The IRS is defining what income is. The, the IRS is defining, you know, then they, then you start getting politicians involved and saying like, oh, well, what's deductible? What counts as income? What counts as an expense that I can write off against that income? So it's still fairly complicated. Um, 
and and you're still having each every you know we're all paying our tribute we're all sending our form into the government so they can approve it into the federal government and, and, and you know I, I, uh, Tom I hate to interrupt you but I think you're making a very important sure. point even on our side sometimes even conservatives have trite talking points like the left does and they don't add up like oh we are simpler tax let's face it in a country this large with so many contingencies in life so many different ways of living and then certainly when you get into the business you know the corporate tax structure it's necessarily somewhat complex and you necessarily need an agency dealing with it so you're going to have but what you're saying is that you're going to have that but you're going to have it on a state level and they're going to have their agency which they have anyway now so you may as well deal with it all but why is it on a federal level you'll no longer need it are you going to need it to tax the states Right. So, you know, in, in my mythical new IRS, um, there will be 50 employees, right? <laughs> it's, it's oversimplification, but essentially in that employee's job would be to pick up their phone and call the, his counterpart at, at whatever state he's at and say, you know, send me the money or whatever, or do audits and that type of thing. So you would still have... Uh, you know, some sort of administrative agency to collect things, to work with the states if there's disputes and stuff like that, to audit the states, that kind of thing. But uh, essentially, there none of those employees' job would be to interact directly with the citizens of the United States. Their job is to interact with the states. Sure. And uh, yeah. And then even on a state powerful. level, it's also much much simpler because again, you're not defining income, the type, the avenue, the deduction, because the states did that work already. They're just saying. Saying, all righty, what's your revenue this year? All right, as a state, you know, you brought in five hundred billion in revenue. All right, so then, you know, flat percentage, we get two hundred billion done. You know, it doesn't matter how, what, where, when. Um, it's just a straight. You don't because again, you need contingencies in life. The bottom line is, I think. You know, most people support some sort of structure for kids. Certain things, you know, certain number of income. You don't want to tax, but. It, that's irrelevant. That that's all out in the wash. The states did that once they collected it after the fact. Look at your revenue. States' revenue is this straight up flat tax. Is is it no more complicated than that? That's that's it. It's just the flat the flat revenue is coming in. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Now the other thing that's interesting is, and again, this gets into the whole way of thinking. You have to think of federal. Think of monopoly. State, think of competitive, and if you look at the current income tax code in the federal government, the federal income tax code, why is it so complex? So you ask yourself the core question: Why is it so complex? Because it's a monopoly. So if California wanted to take this exact code and implement it in California, they would have people just getting U-Hauls and driving out. You know, like in every other state had a, had a let's say a more reasonable tax system. So with a monopoly, you can afford to basically. Uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of get, take, do highway robbery or something like that. So, um, and that, and, and that's why uh, the states will tend to have it will move toward a, fl- a simpler, flatter, you know, fairer tax over time. And then the other nice thing that the states have doing it this way is you have a comparative. Um, with, the, the, with federalism, you get a comparative um, example. So, in other words, you know, somebody, let's say, in California was looking at passing some law like, oh, if we if we eliminate this cut, people kids are going to starve on the street. And the state legislator can point over and say, oh, over in uh, New Hampshire, they're doing this and everything's fine. There's nobody starving wow. in the street or whatever. So that's wow. the whole benefit of being – you can't do that. The federal government, we're having all these theoretical – It's all th- – you know, we don't know of any other system that – Right. I mean, so right. you look and at it, it now, yeah. and, it, and it's amazing that even, you know, uh, Tom, what I find so amazing is look, political economy is a BS study. It's garbage in, garbage out. Meaning, whatever your view on healthcare, on education, you're always going to say your talking points. But what I find amazing on taxes is, you know, you, you could, again, argue over economic growth projections as a result of the tax cut. But in terms of are you going to pay more or less? It's simple arithmetic on a tax return. You could take out a spreadsheet, plug in the simple data of, okay, personal exemption is gone. The rates come down here. You get this for the child tax cards. How could the media just make up that, no, you're going to pay more taxes? But again, because you're, you're saying there is no blueprint, it's all hypothetical until it happens. Correct. And and that's the 
that's the thing, you know, and, and if you think about it, that that's what the politicians, by stoking those fears, can actually get you to do stuff that you normally wouldn't do. Oh, we need, we can't, you know, we can't do this. Well, you know, we won't have funding for the arts or we won't have this. And it's like, we need to have more taxes for this reason because people will starve on the street. And when you have the co- competitive thing, now the, this, it puts the power in the citizen's hand where he can go look over and say, hey, these guys are doing it just fine. What's our problem? Why can't we do that? So, uh, again, the beauty of what the founders designed is that they designed something where people can see things in action, both good and bad. And, you know, because people ask me, like, well, won't somebody implement a progressive tax? Sure, they will. And people can see how that turns out for them. And, and that's that's the beauty of the point. A lot of our guys aren't, you know, they bristle a little bit at federalism just, oh, I don't want the blue states doing insane things. You know, I live in the state of Maryland. But, but the beauty of that is the difference to current law is that there's a place to move. There's competition. There's the ultimate check and balance. So in some ways, it's going to restrain them from doing it. And if they did it, you could move. Whereas now, when it's when the main the the majority of the taxation is controlled at a federal level, and really it's used to leverage a lot more than their share. It, you know, the states are kind of reduced to rubble. And you know, I live in Maryland. Yes, is, is is Texas a better place to live? Yeah, but it's not that much different. Not that much better that for someone like me with all my family here, my roots here, I'm going to pick up and move. But if you actually had a system like this, you know, we would we would really change. And I think there's just a lot of right. And and, and one of the and one of the I do hear you know again you know in the. Over the years on this tax line, I've heard lots of comments. One of the comments is, "Well, I won't. I will never move. So I'm going to be screwed in my state that's high taxes." The issue is, you don't actually have to move. It's the threat of the move and the threat of businesses moving out, which will be provide most of the impact. So all you have to do is have a few percentage points of people wanting to move or leaving, and that will drive your state to be more competitive. So competition makes everybody better. Even if you're not like the the best state in the world, you're still going to be a lot better off because the state knows that they can lose people if they don't have a a competitive policy. The the big debate we had in this, and it's still even even though they kept the cap – you know, they limited it, albeit didn't abolish the whole SALT, the state and local income tax or state and local tax deduction. And this notion that the federal government offers a deduction dollar per dollar, however much a state wants to tax, you could theoretically have an 80% tax rate and you could deduct that in your federal taxation. With the feds taking the lead on that, it creates this, this political problem because on the one hand, states go up and up and up. And rather than a check and a balance, they actually have an incentive to raise taxes. But then on the other hand, you say, all right, we'll get rid of it. But then it's tough because then officially in the short run, you're raising taxes on individuals. And this is the kind of conundrum that that some of us have been in that don't like salt, but we don't want to raise taxes on people. This would uproot the entire state and local income tax deduction business because, all right, states, hey, you want to you want to have high taxes? Do whatever you want. You take the lead rather than, rather than the feds. And then once they're holding the hot potato, there's no one to bail them out or fuel them with incentives. They're going to face competition from other states. Exactly. And what you're talking about, too, is a dynamic mechanism. And that's why the people that kind of point to the fair, like a national fair tax or national flat tax, they go, oh, no, it'll be perfect. It'll be this perfect tax. And what they don't realize in a dynamic environment over a long term, you're going to have people manipulating that. Now, what the great thing about the neutral tax, it's dynamic over the long term. In other words, states are constantly going to be uh, uh, re- reforming. You know, some states will be getting worse and then other ones will be reforming and they'll just be this cycle. So what I like to say is, you know, we had Reagan, you know, people like the Reagan tax cuts from 30, you know, 30 whatever, some years ago. But even those, that was Reagan, that was Ronald Reagan. And they still got, over time, they got essentially back to where they were. Um, so what you want is a, dy- you know, and what the founders wanted was a dynamic system where you, you didn't have to go beg the, you know, the main government for, um, you know, for some uh, relief. <laughs> they, wanted sure. to, they wanted to make it so you could, you know, again, the beauty of federalism is I can change my government in one day. By driving my car somewhere else, so you can't do that with the federal government. So that's and that's the dynamism that we want to have, so that we don't we don't have to keep want to keep having these fights, because essentially the people who are in favor of all these tax right, you know, all this complex tax system, they've been building these trench trenches for their trench warfare 
for 30 years waiting for this fight. Okay, you want to touch child care? You want to touch this? You want to touch that? We've got all the arguments ready. This side, and, and that makes it very difficult to do reform. This sidesteps that, this, you know, the neutral tax sidesteps that whole thing and just says, great, you want to do that? Go ahead and do it in your state. But it's not the federal government's business. No, exactly. Make states and localism great again. Isn't it better to have your voice magnified where your voice in your community, um, your state legislature is so much more accessible, you can get in his face on the entirety of the tax system and, and have have your opinion determine a hundred percent rather than, you know, just thirty percent or so. And, you right, know, and, and we get, sure. and, and I do get, and just another thing is I get on the state, um, when people talk about their states, they're like, oh, well, my state, you know, I don't like my, my state's not very responsive or whatever, I, you know, but the difference is, is that we're spending so much of our energy and mind, the mind share focusing on what's happening on the federal government. Yes. When you all of a sudden put that venue back to your state house, you're going to have people lined up at the state house and they're going to be very accountable. Yes, it will on. make so state legislatures yeah. great again. It will make state yes. legislative elections great again. Right now, yeah. I, yeah, I don't care either. I frankly don't care, but it, it, the states are have been reduced to rubble. They don't matter, um, especially you know if you want to do something to the right of where the federal government is, you can't. Um, and, and whereas here... I think you know a lot of this will break some of the partisan logjam because right now, rather than having what the founders envisioned, states kind of pushing back against the feds, it's really just Republicans and Democrats at every layer of government. It's Republicans and Democrats fake fighting at a federal level, at a state level, and so on. But here, if you had a state that you know they like what they were doing on taxation, it's working out for them, they're going to push back. No, I don't want this program. We're going to take we're going to take the lead on it. Um, and, and then I think, you know, even though you're starting it out as neutral, but from a conservative perspective, we would hope and probably in all likelihood, it, the, the, it, w- it wouldn't be neutral in the long run. It would shift. The more of the responsibility would shift to the states. They would assume more responsibility. And I think this is really the only plan that would actually reduce the size of the federal government in the long run because it would be a race to the top rather than a race to the bottom. Exactly right, and you, you, and again, you, you know, you, you highlighted that point, which is even though this is revenue neutral statically for the purposes of comparison, it's going to really put a downward pressure both on the size of the federal government and make the states more accountable, which they're not right now because essentially they're 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 acting as an administrative appendage of the federal government versus a truly independent where they can come up with new ideas that are you know some of them radical one way or the other and try it out and see how it works exactly i mean things like medicaid i mean it's just all downstream there's nothing they can do here they could you know 100 percent of the revenue is theirs feds coming at the back out and um we're running out of time here i could talk to you forever my gosh but there's one thing i'm going to do to you what i hate when people do to me but i'm going to do it to you anyway because i i think you would have an answer to this you know i hate when you know you come up with an innovative idea well what does it do about this what about this well yeah you know you can't solve 100 percent problems but so you know we solve this taxation problem but there's another element here that unfortunately the way government has been able to grow out of control and promulgate regulations in our lives and market interventions is not exclusively built off of tax revenue because of the prestige of you know US treasury notes in the world despite you know the decline of america it's still relatively better than anywhere else um it, it's given the federal government the ability unlike europe which is why our taxation is relatively low um across the board the ability to service their shenanigans with debt rather than with revenue um, and it's going to be an increasing amount. You know, it looks like the the deficits are going to go back up to a trillion. So, what what would you say? You know, all right. So we put the states more in the driver's seat, reorient more of the revenue there, and they certainly control 100 percent of the source of the revenue. But wouldn't that a how would that solve? You know, the percentage or so of um, expenditures that come from printed money. And B, would this encourage the feds to say, hey, you know what? I want more. I'm just going to go and get it from the printing presses. Uh, good, good boy. That that was a little bit of a curveball. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, again, I think this you know this is beyond the scope of the neutral tax. But in general, what I would say is 
the way the government should be designed, the way we should design our government systems, is that anytime you make a long-term decision, like a deficit, that should really require like super majorities to be able to push that through. So then, what what are the way our government should be designed? It's like we shouldn't have to go yelling up to Congress. Right now, we have to go yelling, you know, running up to Congress and yelling and screaming and protesting every time something happens. What it should be is we should be basically on autopilot, and if they want to do something, they have to come ask for permission. And so that's where maybe, you know, uh, I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for, but essentially, like, if they're wanting to go into debt and stuff like that, those kinds of things might, you know, if I were me designing things, I would say that's more of a super majority. So you have to actually vote to get in there, not just like a simple majority to, to increase the debt. But I do think that the, as far as the neutral tax goes, it's going to, um, by driving the revenue and and everything back to the states, I think it's going to... Uh, it, it's going to essentially deflate the federal government in, at all levels. For sure. And, um, you know, and again, that's where you want to get your Senate, you know, uh, back representing the states. Um, the, the 17th Amendment, the, the, the Senate doesn't currently really represent the states. Um, and uh, so there's some, a lot of other bigger issues there. But uh, sure. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's a pretty, pretty, pretty big question there. Sure. No, and, and still, even under, you know, even with all the debt, still more than 80 percent, well over 80 percent most years, still of the revenue still comes from taxation. So, I mean, you're solving a lot of it. And I think you're right that, you know, once you really had this off in earnest, you'd really start to see whether it's healthcare, education, agriculture programs, the state starting to take the lead by debt definition it would incre- it would decrease the dependency and burden and it would just shift and and that's the beauty of you know it's not just revenue neutral I, what i like about your plan is it's politically neutral say look exactly. you know we argue over the size of government the amount of revenue we want the the level of progressivity, the source of taxation, it, it just it's an endless fight, and it's going to go on and on between the right and the left in America. And the best way is to say, look, let's devolve that fight. Let's put that on a shelf, have it at a state level. Um, but I think as conservatives, we would say we would be very happy with that outcome because it would necessarily force the blue states to put their money where their mouths are, literally. And yeah. you know, you're not going to have the both the limitation of the federal government on you, but also the security blanket of it, it's kind of more sink or swim on your own. And, uh, you know, we would argue that their policies would force them to, 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 to sink rather than swim. So they're going to have to learn how to swim. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you just saw the tweet. I think it was last night or this morning from Diane Feinstein, where she was complaining about the salt tax. So here you have uh, somebody who's supposedly um, in favor of you know uh, t- t- you know taxing the rich, uh, arguing against her own uh, <laughs> uh, you know party line. So that's very interesting. That's that's her a, own state. a little shade of what you would get. No, that's very interesting. So uh, just for our listeners, what uh, Tom's referring to here is um, she complained that it limits the mortgage interest deduction. It doesn't get rid of it. It limits it from a million to 750000 To be clear, this is more than a $750,000 home. It's you get to deduct up to 750000 of interest. So for example, if you put down 20%, on a house and mortgage the rest, I mean, this would cover you anyway um, until almost a million-dollar home, and then even over that, it would still cover a substantial portion of it, and yet she's saying it's still not enough. So you're talking about, I mean, even in a high-cost area, um, wealthy individuals, but again, she's standing up for her state prerogatives, and Correct. You know, and, right and now if that's you notice there, If you notice there, too, the cost of living and the, the, the facts on the ground are different in each state. So she's right there. So why are we trying to make this one policy for everybody? It doesn't make – I mean, a million-dollar a, a million dollar, uh, loan doesn't make any sense in Nebraska. You know, that's a, that's a really well, you know, big house. It's totally different in California. So that's an example of where the, trying to make one-size-fits-all federal policy it makes no sense at all. Be- beautiful, beautiful. I and mean, you shouldn't have to be a conservative or a liberal to understand that. I mean, that that that's why you need to make the decisions on a state level. You say, all right, you know what, California, high cost area, let's give deductions for people, you know, for property tax for for this. But you know, in in 
the upper Midwest or you know parts of the rural South. Why do that? It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, but there's going to be other things we want to do that make more sense for that. And and again, I, I say this so often that when we were a country of just three million people starting out uh, with with the with, with the original colonies, the founders felt we needed localism. How much more so when you have 325 million, 50 states, much more diverse, um, just the nature of the people, we need localism. Um, Tom, you know, we're, we're just about out of time. Any, any parting thoughts and just where people could find more of your work? Um, yeah, just check go over to neutraltax.com. Uh, you know, uh, follow us on Twitter, neutral tax, uh, neutral at neutral tax and there's more stuff going to be coming out that's along the same lines of trying to somewhat radically revise uh the way we do government um but in a relatively nonpartisan way it's it's like yes. like the neutral tax it's not it's not partisan so yeah keep 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 an eye out sure and 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 that's the thing you know I think we've done this on judicial reform, some of our health care work, and we've gotten a lot of good feedback from, from non-conservatives as well as conservatives, that sometimes the more conservative idea or really just the more American idea, the better idea, it's not easy. There's nothing easy in the political paralysis we have in this day and age, but sometimes it's easier to find the play to – get a touchdown in the end zone than to say, I'm going to kick a 65 yard field goal that you're not going to make. And we're not going to get it anyway. So we have the same talking points on healthcare and taxation, and they're not even that good and we're not going to implement them. So who are we kidding ourselves? Um, our goal here in the coming year is to really bring more of these ideas to the forefront. Um, we got to get you on the show again. We got to get get an audience uh, with some members of Congress and really push some of these ideas. Tom Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Looking forward to having you back next month or, or next year. Great, thanks so much. Good talking to you, folks. That was Tom Ryan, the founder of Americans for Federalism. Just wellspring of ideas. Brilliant man. Um, you should see when I get on the phone with him. I mean, we just can't get off. Uh, we we just talk about everything and. Um, there are so few people that I could speak to at that level and just bounce back and forth some ideas. Um, just such a thoughtful guy. And and that's this is really what I want to do a lot more of next year um, with our growing audience. Again, welcome to our Westwood One crowd um, that's coming to us from their platform as well. And we're going to have a lot more on this. We'll link to in show notes his website, contact info. Let me know if you have any more ideas. Uh, email me, tweet me uh, some of your questions or modifications. Um, you know, as it says in Proverbs, you, know, you give to uh, a wise man and he becomes wiser and spits back even wiser ideas. So uh, th- this is what we need to do to just speak over this nonsense going on in, in our political system. Uh, great ideas. We're going to have a lot more this week on the courts, the finality of this tax bill. Uh, this week, Trump is, you know, came out just today with his national security strategy. Sounds great. And I really actually do appreciate a lot what's in it. But again, is the deep state squandering a lot of these opportunities that he's providing and actually going in the opposite direction, like arming Hezbollah um, indirectly or directly? And, uh, you know, there's a Bloomberg, Bloomberg article out there how Washington bureaucrats are quietly working to undermine Trump's agenda. So, again, watch out for that. Lots of of end-of-year material. Make CR, CRTV, your one-stop shop. As you can see, we brought on Andrew Wilkow to CRTV, several other new hosts. You're going to have more content than you you know what to do with, so make sure before the end of the year, subscribe, get your one-year subscription, Um, you know, Heck, you know, if you want it to be a Christmas present for, for a relative, great present. I'm telling you more content than you'll, than you'll know what to do with. Till next time, God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.